I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Well, I know I've shared this poem with you before, but it fits this morning. I thought I'd just... Uh, Lift your spirits a little bit on this Sunday morning. It goes like this. There's a preacher of the old school, but he speaks as boldly as ever. He's not popular, though the world is his parish. And he travels to every part of the globe and speaks in every language. He visits the poor, calls upon the rich, preaches to people of every religion and no religion, and the subject of his sermon is always the same. He is an eloquent preacher, often stirring feelings which no other preacher could, bringing tears to the eyes of those who never weep. His arguments none are able to refute, nor is there any heart that has remained unmoved by the force of his appeals. He shatters life with his message. Most people hate him, yet everyone fears him. His name is death. Every tombstone is his pulpit. Every newspaper prints his text, and someday every one of us will be his sermon. Amen? Or like, oh my, to some of you, right? Death is not a fun topic to talk about, especially on Resurrection Sunday, right? But the problem is, there is no way of avoiding it when it comes. Death is certain. It is relentless. The odds are one out of one if the Lord delays His coming that we are going to die. No exceptions to this. Doesn't matter if you're good or bad. Religious or godless. And get this, we don't know when our dying day is going to be. All that we know is that it will be. I've used this illustration before. Um, I don't know if they still do this where you grab the number going into the revenue office, but y'all remember that, right? It's been a while since I've been in there. But it's like everyone who exists, they have a number. And the person behind the desk knows what number they're going to call, and they're not calling the numbers in order, and it appears to us to be pretty random. We all have a number. We know it's going to be called. We just don't know when. Life's a lot like that, isn't it? And this reality that we're all going to die someday, maybe today, has driven many to despair because in this world, this is all they have for many 
This is their only hope. What's here and now, you strip that away and you're left with nothing. Here's the good news for us, believers. God tells us in His Word that this life is not all there is. And death does not have the final say. That's what we've been discussing these past few weeks. For the Christian, there is no fear in death because of the future hope that we have in Christ Jesus. While our body is going to one day go into the grave, if, if God delays His coming, if the Lord re- delays returning, the Lord Jesus Christ, God tells us in His Word that one day in the future, we're going to come out the other side glorified. New bodies fit for heaven. Amen? Amen. That's the Christian hope. And that's the message of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bibles turned there now, I know I'm up here early. I'll explain that in just a moment, okay? But today we're looking at the the second half of the second section of this great chapter from the Apostle Paul on the resurrection. For those of you who missed last week or if you're visiting with us this morning, we want to welcome you. And I also want to bring you up to speed with where we are in this great book, in this great chapter on resurrection. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to the Christians at Corinth, and they were one messy, messed up congregation, okay? I said last week, jokingly, for those who make the statement, man, I wish we could get back to the way the early church was. Surely you don't mean Corinth. All right, the Christians at Corinth. This is one messy, messed up church. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is addressing their doctrinal issues on on top of having behavioral problems, relational problems. They also had doctrinal problems. They had moral issues, all kinds of issues, but, but doctrinal issues as well. While the Christians at Corinth believed in the the physical bodily resurrection of Christ from the dead, they denied the future resurrection of their own bodies. They believed that there is some sort of existence with God after death, but they believed what happened to Jesus is unrelated to them. Paul is writing to correct them on this. He writes to them first. He lays out the evidence for Christ's resurrection. They believed in that, but he's building his argument. He lays the evidence for lays down the evidence for Christ's resurrection in verses 1 through 11 and then in verses 12 through 34 of 1 Corinthians 15 Paul makes the connection between Christ and them. He is showing them there is this seamless connection between Christ and his followers to such an extent that what what is true of him is true of us. He says because Christ has been raised, you will also one day be raised in the future you will experience a physical and bodily resurrection. That was hard for them because they were allowing Greek philosophy to influence them that taught that all the material world is evil, only the spiritual world is good. He says, no, no, no. God created this world, right? Created us to live in it. Christ came, became one of us to redeem us 
and to redeem this broken and fallen world and what's true of him is true of you. And Paul says in that first half of 1 Corinthians, if you deny the future resurrection of the godly, you have to deny the resurrection of Jesus. And if you deny the resurrection of Jesus, there are a whole host of problems that Paul lists out for them in the first 20 verses of 1 Corinthians 15. So he lays that argument down and then... He begins to address questions that they have like, okay, Paul, let's say there's a future resurrection, bodily resurrection of the godly. How how exactly is that going to happen? We've seen the body. We know it breaks down. We know the body wastes away. With what kind of bodies are we going to be raised, Paul? You want to talk about the future physical bodily resurrection of the godly? How exactly is that going to happen? And we looked at the text last week where Paul explains that we are going to receive new bodies, those in Christ. He explains that the, the, the future new you, the new you, the, the, the physical resurrection that's coming, it's going to be unique and it's going to be remarkable. There is a, a, a unique body that God is going to give us. It's us, but it's going to be fit for glory. It's going to be remarkable. He explains to the the Christians at Corinth, and it applies to us believers, that there is going to be a different kind, a better kind of you that's coming in that future resurrection. There is coming a day when we are going to burst forth from the grave in a physical bodily sense and exist in a unique, similar, yet more glorious way. And he also tells us, because they were asking Paul, that the body decays, the body dies. How are we going to have new bodies? How are these bodies going to, going to live forever? Well, Paul says the new you is new and improved, fit for eternal existence. You're going to exist eternally in a magnificent, powerful, glorious way like Jesus in the presence of Jesus with his people forever. And in this last section of 1 Corinthians 15, in verses 50 through 58, as Paul reflects on this glorious truth, and what Christ has done for us, and what the future holds for us believers, as he anticipates that day when the dead in Christ will rise and be given new bodies, he ends this chapter with a wonderful passage of praise. This passage should probably be sung as much as it is preached. So with that in mind, we're going to do something unique this morning. This sermon is divided into parts, and I'm going to break at certain parts in this sermon, and we're going to apply what's going to be talked about this morning. We are going to all share in the joy of our resurrection believers by singing songs of praise in light of what has just been shared from God's Word, okay? So you're going to apply this sermon right here and right now today. We're going to experience the joy of our resurrection and hearing God's words and then focusing on those things and responding in songs of praise, which I, I trust will be, will be a, a wonderful, worshipful time for you as, as well, okay? So a, a, a bit different, but I think the passage calls for it, and I think it's going to be meaningful and worshipful to you. We are, we are uh, going to look at the joy of our resurrection. We're going to Respond by praising the Lord for our future resurrection and what it means for us. No, no better way to spend our time 
on Resurrection Sunday than doing just that. Amen? Amen. All right. So we're looking at the last section in this great chapter on the resurrection. I want to call your attention to three different points of praise when it comes to our future resurrection as believers. First, we see here in this passage that we should praise the Lord for our future transformation. That's point number one. Like we discussed last week, there is going to be a great transformation that's going to take place in the future. And guess what? It's going to be good. Because we know the source of that transformation, the one who is going to transform us, right? Though there's a lot of things we don't know, Paul gives us more than most in 1 Corinthians 15. We know it's going to be good. And we also learn here that it's something that must take place, right? The perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. The dishonorable cannot inherit the honorable. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Look at verse 50. Paul says... I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And he makes the same point in verse 53 when he says, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. In other words, Paul is saying here, we have to be transformed. We have to be different in order to inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot be earthy like Adam. We cannot be fallen and sinful and broken like we are now. As Paul explained in the previous passage in verse 49, look back up at it. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, that's Jesus. We have to be transformed. We have to have new bodies fit for a new existence, fit for glory. Paul says we cannot inherit God's eternal kingdom with bodies like we have now. Bodies that are natural and perishable and dishonorable and weak. We must have bodies that are spiritual and perishable, honorable and strong. Remember, Paul's answering a lot of questions that the Christians at Corinth had. And one question they had in, exist, in, in addition to what the resurrection is going to be like is they asked Paul, well, what about those who are still here when the Lord Jesus returns? We, we know what you, you're, you're teaching about the resurrection. What about those who are here when, when the Lord Jesus comes back? And Paul, Paul addresses that as well. Look at verse 51. Paul says, Behold... I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. Now what does sleep mean here? Does it mean going to sleep like you do every night? No, it's a metaphor for death. There are many metaphors for death. One common metaphor used is, is that of sleep. Death is like sleep. There are, there are comparisons made to sleep for the Christ follower. Think about sleep. Sleep is transitional and temporary. It takes you from one day to the next. You'll go to bed tonight, and then you'll move right into Monday morning, right? When you, when you wake up. That is what death is like for a believer. You leave this life, you wake up in the presence of Jesus. Paul says, we shall not all die, we shall not all sleep. 
but we shall all be changed. He says, here's the mystery. Those of you still alive, when Jesus returns, will be changed. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Paul says, it's going to happen quickly. It's going to happen when the trumpet sounds. When the trumpet sounds, the dead will be raised, will all be changed at this time. Trumpets were used to gather people before kings and leaders. The trumpet used here is going to sound to gather God's people together before Him for worship and praise forever, right? The trumpet will sound. Those bodies in the grave are going to hear it. And they're going to come out of the grave changed and join with those who are still alive, who have been changed from seeing Jesus as He is, and they're all going to be gathered before the Lord. How awesome is that? Paul says those believing in Jesus, those who have died, those still alive, they'll all be changed. Will you be changed in this way on that day? Is Christ Lord of your life? Are you in Christ? Are you, have you turned from your sin? Are you trusting in Him for your salvation? I pray the answer is yes, and if not, I pray you leave here today with that answer being yes. Can you imagine, believers, what it's going to be like in that day when graves start releasing their victims? Whew, that's going to be good, isn't it? Paul says those in Christ who have died and those still alive, they'll all be changed. What a day that's going to be when the grave gives up the dead, when those who are still here in Christ will be changed. So what we're going to do now is we're going to sing a song about this work that Christ has accomplished for us through His death and resurrection because of his death, we have been saved. Because of his resurrection, we have new life, abundant life in Christ that is eternal. Because Christ has accomplished this work for us believers, because he has called our name, we are able to run out of the grave in Christ. There is life eternal in him. The old is made new. Kind of tough to take your seat after that, isn't it? Amen. Not only are we to praise the Lord for our future transformation, but we're also to praise the Lord for our future victory. We have victory to look forward to, believers, because of what Christ has accomplished for us. Look, look at verse 54, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Two key words I want to highlight here that, that may surprise you, but, but they're important that I highlight them. They're the words when and then. Paul says when the perishable puts on imperishable and mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Believers, these two words, when and then, tell us that our victory is all but certain. Notice the statement is in quotations. 
whenever you see that in the New Testament, you know that the writer is taking you back to something that was said in the Old Testament. He's quoting from Isaiah 25. In the Hebrew, it's literally translated, death is swallowed up forever. I love that, don't you? Paul says when this transformation comes, victory can be proclaimed. When we see Christ as He is, when we are made new, there is a death to death for us because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. On that day, believers, we're going to be able to shout aloud together that victory cry that death is swallowed up forever. The word swallowed up, it has to do with complete destruction. When Christ returns, when we are transformed, there will be a total end to death. Right now, death is not swallowed up. Right right now, death is, is still an enemy to us. It ends long, loving relationships. It takes people we, we, we love too soon. It snatches souls and draws them to hell. Death is still an enemy. It still invades us. It, it hits us with tremendous blows. But there is coming a day when death will be swallowed up forever. That's one of the reasons for us being here on this morning and rejoicing. Because Christ is raised, will be raised He conquered death with his death and resurrection so that we might have life. R.C.H. Linsky once said this in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. Look at this quote on the screen. What looks like a victory for death and like a defeat for us when our bodies die and decay shall be utterly reversed so that death dies in absolute defeat and our bodies live again in absolute victory. What a great reversal. What a great word. And in response to this incredible victory, Paul taunts death here by quoting from Hosea 3, which says, from Hosea 13, which says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now that that word sting has to do with the the sting of a bee or the the sting of a serpent. Though though death still, still invades our world today and we're still affected by death and its effects, The stinger of death has been removed for us, believers. How has it been removed? Through Jesus. You see, death plunged its stinger into Him at the cross and it was left there. That was our focus on Friday night for Good Friday. Christ bore the whole sting of death for us so that death for us who are in Him by faith has no sting. Paul goes on to explain this a little bit further. He he can't just leave it at that. He's got to give us a little theology to clarify things. So put on your thinking caps for just a minute, all right? Bear with me and Paul here. He says in verse 56, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Here's what he's saying. Death ultimately does no harm to us believers. It, it, it separates us for, for loved ones, but, but for those who are in Christ, we're going to be with them again in glory in the presence of our God and King. It, it doesn't, doesn't ultimately harm us, right? It doesn't rob us of our, our joy unless sin is still there. Unless the penalty of sin has not yet been removed. When he talks about 
that the sting of death is sin. He's not talking about just any sin. We struggle with sin still. But he's talking about sin that's not been paid for. Sin that has not been forgiven. For a believer, there is no sting in death because the penalty of of sin has been removed from us because of what Christ has done for us. There's still the power of sin, though it's been lessened because we have the Spirit of God at work in us. And there's still the presence of sin. One day, there will not be the presence of sin, the power of sin, nor the penalty of sin. But for right now, the penalty of sin has been removed from us. Therefore, all death can really do is sort of buzz around and annoy us a bit, but it can't ultimately sting us. Believers, Jesus took on your sin. He became sin who knew no sin so that you could be made righteous, so that you could be forgiven. The great exchange, your sin transferred to Christ and His righteousness given to you by faith. Glorious doctrine there. Doesn't mean we don't still mess up, but we struggle with our struggle. We're messed up by messing up. And it means that our sins are covered, already forgiven and paid for. Paul also explains that the power of sin is the law. What makes sinners sinners is that God has a standard that He has put in place. He has said, this is right and this is wrong. He has set up these standards that we have failed to measure up to, right? That makes sin a reality. And folks, if that were the end of the story that the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, we would be in a bad way because we have fallen short of God's standard. We have sinned against Him. We are unable to pay for that sin in our own strength. We are deserving of death. Thankfully, praise be to God, He sent His Son to fulfill the whole law for us, to live the perfect life we could never live, the life Adam failed to live, and die in our place and pay the price for our sin so that death could be swallowed up forever. At this time, our praise band is going to lead us in singing about this living hope that we as believers have. And as we sing this song, I want you to really reflect on verse 57 of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, thanks be to God, praise be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand? All right, so we have praised the Lord for our future transformation. We have praised the Lord for our future victory. Lastly, we are to praise the Lord for our purpose in the present. We have a purposeful present. While for most of the second half of this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's focus has been on that future and final day when Christ returns and, and, and the fact that we'll be made like Him when we see Him as He is, in this last verse and on into 1 Corinthians 16, He shifts His focus from focusing on the then and there to the here and now. He gives us the therefore. Okay, Paul, we know what our future holds. What does that mean for us today? Paul is going to tell us, In the last verse, he gives us our purpose, believers. You know, many search their whole lives for purpose and never find it. God has given it to us in his word. He tells us clearly why we are here. 
and what He has called us to do. Look at verse 58. Therefore, in light of this, this great work that's going to take place in the future, in light of your future transformation, your future resurrection, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul tells us here, stand firm, believers, and work hard. Stand firm and work hard. Because of these truths I've shared with you about Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection, stand firm, be steadfast and immovable. Steadfast means to be seated. Paul says, take your seat on this truth. Be fixed on it, settled, seated, firm, solid on the truth of your resurrection. Paul knows that if we lose sight of what's to come, we will not put first things first in the present. We'll begin to look back and we'll begin to live for this life and this life only. I had a seminary professor tell us again and again in class as students, he said, You need to be living for two days, today and that day, and you need to live today with that day in mind. We talked about how we spend so much time trying to maintain these bodies, right, and and look like we once did, instead of striving to be like we will one day be when Christ returns. Scripture points us in that direction. Paul tells us, be disciplined for the purpose of godliness. Paul tells us to pursue godliness. He tells us to work out our salvation. He says, in all that you do, do all to the glory of God. Jesus gives us our marching orders. He says, you're to go out and shine the light of my gospel in this dark and dead world. You're to be my witnesses. You're to make disciples. And Paul says, when we labor in that way, our work is not in vain. Because it is of eternal significance. Paul says, work hard with this truth in mind. Work with your resurrection in mind. Work means to labor to the point of exhaustion. Work until you're wearied, believers. There's no vacation time in pursuit of godliness. We don't take a couple of months off. A time of rest is coming for us, but we have not yet entered that rest. Right now is the time for us to get busy and work. Labor for the kingdom. Pursue godliness. Do everything to the glory of God. Pour into others. Be a light shining in this dark and dead world. Be witnesses for Jesus. Make disciples. Do those things now. Strive in that way to enter into His rest. Abounding means to overdo it. Work to the point of exhaustion. Overdo it. I'm not saying you should not ever rest, right? Scripture is clear that we're to rest, but we're to be making even that time of rest count for God in His glory. Amen? Our rest time should be worshipful and edifying as well. The great kingdom work that God has called us to brings results that last forever. That labor is not in vain. There is eternity at stake, folks. Therefore, 
We're to be going above and beyond right now in our spiritual lives, purposefully overdoing it with our, with our minds and, and hearts set on that day. We're to be striving today to be like we will one day be, and we're to be bringing others with us into God's kingdom. We're to be hard at work, advancing His kingdom, spreading His gospel. That work is not in vain. That labor is not in vain. Don't, don't ever, ever let it be said of you that you settled for a subpar Christian life. Don't do it. Someone once asked a well-known pastor, do you think you'll ever retire? And he didn't pause a moment when he said, I sure will when I'm dead and laid out. There are some who say, you know, I've given the Lord so much, it's time for me to let the younger kids step in, put my life in cruise. No, we got to get with it. we got to get busy making our time for the Lord count. Praise God for our purpose in the present. May we embrace that as believers, as, the, as a church, and go out and labor for the Lord. There was a missionary named David Brainerd who served in the 1700s as an American missionary to the Delaware Indians of New Jersey. How about that? Long time ago. He was considered by many to be uh, one of America's most influential missionaries. His life was very short. He died at the age of 29. While he lived a short life, he lived a full one though. Just less than three decades, and Brainerd's intense, passionate devotion to God affected countless Christians for generations to come. He once said this, It is sweet to be nothing and less than nothing that Christ may be all in all. He, like Jim Elliott, lived not a long life but a full one just like Jesus. And the life that he lived for Christ and for his kingdom now echoes through the halls of eternity May that be said of us, believers. May God give us a desire to be nothing and less than nothing that Christ may be all in all. May we labor in this way. Let me end with this, and then we're going to sing one more song of praise before we close. Maybe you're here this morning or listening online. You're, you're one of those that I described at the very beginning that don't even like to consider the fact that you're going to die someday, maybe today. I, I wish I could bring you words of comfort and say, don't worry about it. You're, you're not going to die anytime soon, but I can't make that guarantee to anyone, self-included. Truth is, no one knows. But what I can do is I can prepare you for that day when it comes. I can give you a hope that last beyond the grave, I can explain how the sting of death can be removed from you. It can be removed by you turning from your sin, forsaking your way, looking to, clinging to Christ alone for your salvation. We must put our faith in His person and work alone to be saved. Christ came for that reason. He came from heaven to earth. He became one of us to live for us and die for us. He took the sting of death so that He could remove the sting of death from us. And He was raised. He conquered death with 
his death and resurrection so that we might live. For those discouraged this morning of the fact that you're going to die someday, maybe today, consider the words of Jesus in John 11 when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. What Jesus offers us is better than long life here on earth. He offers us eternal life with him. You want to be ready for your dying day? You need the work that Christ accomplished, applied to your life. And you can have that work applied to your life today if you would turn from your sin and lay your life down before the King of Kings and give your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not done that, I pray with you, I plead with you today to do that. Let's pray together.